this is Katie Saad. This is a bonus episode of 90 Day Disasters, which in this case is a little bit of a misnomer because this actually is not an episode <clears throat> breaking down 90 Day Fiance or any of its offshoots. This is actually a essentially an archive Real Housewives of New York episode, a sort of historical undertaking, if you will. Um, I had mentioned the possibility that I would do this in a previous episode of a, of 90 Day of our normal podcast, um, essentially because despite the fact that I have two small children, apparently I have nothing better to do than sit around and watch not just The Real Housewives in addition to 90 Day Fiance and all of its iterations, but old episodes of The Real Housewives. So I am, of course, current on all seasons, excuse me, all cities of Real Housewives, except for Atlanta, because I actually have to admit, I don't like Atlanta. I watched, I think, the first... Well, I watched every season until I only actually made it halfway through last season. Um, I don't know. I just, I guess without Phaedra, maybe? And I it's not like I like Phaedra. I don't know if anybody really likes Phaedra. Um, although, as a housewife, she's fantastic. Maybe it was that, that she went away. I don't know. Anyway, the point is, Atlanta's the only sort of active season I'm not watching. So I watch all the seasons as they currently come out. And ever since my, I think it was when my baby, who is now six months old, was born, I started watching old episodes of Orange County, although it may actually have been when I was pregnant. And I distinctly remember now it has sort of a, a sentimental place in my heart because I was watching the old episodes of Orange County like in the middle of the night while I was breastfeeding. I would sort of hear the baby cry and, you know, when I was asleep, obviously in bed and I would sort of get up and <laughs> the thing that actually made it easier for me to get out of bed was that as soon as I walked into her room, I would turn on the TV, which of course made the room brighter, which is good because, you know, I had to be able to see to change her diaper and things, but it also kind of like woke me up a little bit and kind of got me out of my fog. And then I would sort of watch, you know, however many minutes of, of the episode that I was on while I was nursing her and then I'd put her back down and then basically rinse and repeat um, all night long. So that was kind of a kind of a silver lining to what is, as anyone out there who has had a newborn knows, is a tough situation. Thank God she is now sleeping through the night, and yet my obsession continues. <laughs> so not only did I run through every season of The Real Housewives of Orange County, I am now midway through season five of The Real Housewives of New York. So I went all the way through the first four seasons of New York as well. Um, and if this this sort of breakdown of old episodes of The Housewives ends up being something that people like, I'd be more than happy to just go back through essentially every single episode of The Real Housewives over time, obviously, and break them down. Because the thing that, it's interesting. So I don't know if it's just because I watch the old episodes on Hulu, so there's no commercials, which is nice, or you know, versus like the current seasons of Housewives I have to, and actually anything on TLC, I have to watch on the app. And so they're like actually pretty long and several commercial breaks, which is annoying. Um, I don't think anybody likes commercials. So I, I tend to sometimes prefer to watch the old episodes of the Housewives rather than whatever is current. Um, but I don't think it's just the commercials. I actually think it's something more. And that's why I'm doing this. Uh, by the way, Lisa is not on this crazy train with me so apologies to everybody we're losing her sage commentary and her endless witticisms but this is um a grave I dug myself and so I have to lie in it along with you fine people um 
it is something special watching old episodes of Housewives. I was a history major in college. Um, I went to Berkeley and um, I focused my studies there on World War I history. And I wrote my honors thesis on it and it was sort of what I lived and breathed for years and I loved it and I still to this day read books I mean almost exclusively about World War One and then World War Two as well I mean not that I don't read anything else but that's sort of my one of my go-tos so I love history and believe it or not um, actually now that I think about it I did a lot of history studies in law school as well as much as I could because they let you kind of do electives and stuff in law school it's not just sort of core curriculum uh, relevant to the bar exam it's also and you can kind of study anything that's re relevant to the law. So I did a lot of California legal history studies, um, largely because I went to a California law school. And so I love history. I consider myself an historian. And of course, as any good historian knows, one should put one's focus on the most important things, the most impactful things that have happened in the past so that we might walk into the future with a little bit more enlightenment, if you will. And so, of course, I'm going to go ahead and focus on <laughs> The Real Housewives. Um, these old episodes are absolutely fantastic. You, look, you can look at it sort of globally. So you can think about, as you're watching it, you can just see what was happening sort of IRL, right, as they were shooting it. So especially when you look at the old episodes of Orange County, those women started out at essentially the boom time right before the 08 crash and then the crash hits and then you see them being affected by the aftermath of the crash and remember a lot of the the original OC housewives were real estate agents so for them I mean like Gina Keogh for example Tamara Ben Barney now judge um, there was you know very real significant fallout from that I don't remember if the Beverly Hills Housewives were around at that time. I don't think that they were. Um, but New York, you kind of see it. In New York, you see other things that were happening sort of in real life. And especially, and so aside from the sort of more, if you want to call it global context, there's also just looking at it as sort of a Housewives historian. You know, I'm so used to the Housewives as they are now in terms of the show itself, the production value, um, the kind of like tropes like the the trip you know there's sort of a big trip every season etc there are things that are sort of have been fed into the formula over the years to the point where it's now this like obviously well-oiled machine um the housewives as a show and then the housewives themselves sort of who they are and what they bring to the show and the kind of at this point almost predictable kinds of um um what, what should I call it the relationships really between them and the kinds of things that come up when you look at it from before um, those sort of tropes were still in still in progress they were still you know Andy Cohen for example was trying different things and so when you watch old seasons you you kind of see the seeds if you will that ended up sort of blossoming into what the show is that we now know and love um, and then finally, there's also just the fact that you see things that happen in old episodes that totally are sort of relevant to the housewives now, the particular housewives that they occurred to, assuming those people are still on the show. So one thing that I mentioned on a previous episode of 90 Day when I was getting into this tangent about archive Real Housewives was 
that um, they show in season four of The Real Housewives of New York a trip to Morocco, which, by the way, was one of the first ones of these big trips. Um, so they go right away, sort of the show maturing sort of before your eyes, which is interesting. But they show on this trip to Morocco that Ramona, that they, all the girls essentially went to a fortune teller. And the fortune teller tells Ramona that her husband Mario has another woman in his life. Which, amazingly, and it's just been so many years, I guess, I had completely forgotten about that. She totally blows it off. The other women are, like, aghast. They also use it as an opportunity to start essentially gossiping and saying, yeah, I have heard this, you know, around town, around the Upper East Side, that he's cheating on her. And then, of course, in real life, years later, and it's, you know, it's sort of broken down on the show, although she hides it a lot. Um, It turned out, lo and behold, he had been cheating on her. He had a sort of a full-blown affair, supposedly, And, you know, they got divorced. So watching it again and realizing that I had literally forgotten about that entire sort of episode, um, given sort of what's happened since, it's just really kind of mind boggling. Um, And those are sort of the things that I really enjoy about watching old episodes of The Real Housewives. It's why I thought that people who like 90 Day Fiance... (laughs) And, and and the Real Housewives, and I'm guessing there's a huge overlap in those audiences um, that they might enjoy this as much as I'm enjoying it. So here goes. This is just a sort of toe in the water. And if you all like this and I get a lot of listeners, I'm more than happy to continue because I'm obviously doing this with my time anyway. Okay, so getting into it after that long introduction. Oh, one more thing. Don't forget to listen to the disclaimer at the end of this episode. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, getting into Real Housewives of New York, Season 5, Episode 9. This is called Dirty Old Dad, and it aired on July 30th, 2012. And that's just fun, right, in and of itself. Like, I try to, I see that, and I try to remember what I was doing in 2012. And frankly, I'm drawing a blank. What was I doing? I think I was in law school. Or I was just, was I in law school? I think I was in law school. But anyway, think to yourself, ask yourself, what was I doing on July 30th of 2012 when Real Housewives of New York Season 5, Episode 9 dropped? Okay, you may or may not recall this is the Aviva season, Aviva Dresher's first season. I think she ended up doing like three, maybe. We've got Heather Thompson, new this season, Carol Radziwill's premiere season. Um, You've still got Ramona and Sonia and Luann. And I think that's it. So this was kind of a revamp season. Bethany had left. Then they, I guess they fired Jill Zarin and Alex McCord. I mean, they, they left. I, I kind of assume they were fired. I don't know. Um, and Kelly, Ben Simone is gone. So they really kind of cleared the decks for this season, which actually I think is kind of weird, you know, and especially because I have, like I said, I've watched seasons one through four very recently. I thought even without Bethany that Alex and Kelly and, Jill brought a lot to the show so I'm a little bit surprised that they um kind of got axed yeah especially because in the sort of latter two seasons like seasons three and four Alex had really come out of her shell Jill was really kind of showing her true colors she had a big clash with Ramona so that was entertaining um so I don't I don't really know why they did that but they bring in these New people. Oh, and they'd had Cindy Barshop last season, and they only had her for one season. So she's gone already. So now we've got Aviva. 
she has a house, or not a house, but a condo in Miami. She says it's in the, I think she says it's in Bell Harbor, which she terms the um, Park Avenue of Miami or something like that, the Upper East Side of Miami. So I don't know what that means, but she's apparently proud of it. Um, so a little bit of backstory going into this episode. Aviva is is already in Miami on vacation at her um at her apartment with her husband and I think two of their kids. And she's invited Ramona and Mario to come stay with her. Um, and then, so they're already there. They've already been there for a little bit. And um, we also separately met Aviva's dad, George. Now, George becomes a pretty important character. I mean, he's one of two very interesting things about Aviva, I would say. One is that she has an artificial leg. And two is her father, George. Um, George is fascinating. He is essentially, apparently Aviva's mother and father were married for a very long time. They were very happily married. Her mother passed away six years-ish before this episode aired or was shot or whatever. Her dad then proceeded to go on sort of like a sex bender, apparently, and started just chasing tail, like chasing women, um, just... She, she, Aviva describes him as a sex addict, which is a very strong, um, way of putting it. And I wonder whether he was ever sort of formally diagnosed. They don't say, um, but it's, we've, we've already seen, we've met George in the previous episodes. We met him in episode eight. And first of all, he says something right when we meet him, he says something to Aviva like, Oh, you know, you're so beautiful. If you weren't my daughter, I would be all over you kind of a thing. And she's like, oh, dad, that's disgusting. And she kind of brushes it off. But I don't think we can brush that off. I mean, that is, that is, if nothing else, a very unique dynamic between a father and a daughter. Um, you know, she's an adult, but still, I, I am shocked that he would say that to her at all, much less that he would say that on camera. Um, it makes me wonder about sort of his mental health a little bit. Um, he also suggests to her, apparently off camera, that she take Ramona and Mario to this particular restaurant and that she, Aviva, order a Kobe beef hot dog. So in this episode, no, no, sorry. So in the previous episode, I think it was, maybe it's this episode, they go and she orders this hot dog and it is literally a, I don't know, a 16 inch, 20 inch long humongous hot dog in a bun and everyone's laughing and making penis jokes and it's like her dad apparently suggested that she do this because it was sort of a sexualized item and he I don't know he wasn't even going to be there but I guess he wanted to it appears that he wanted her to either be embarrassed or you know and remember her husband's there and this gentleman Mario who she like barely knows is there to sort of witness this spectacle and it's truly shocking. I mean, it is truly, truly shocking. And it brings me to another point about these old episodes of Housewives, that sometimes people say things and do things in these old seasons that they would never, ever, ever say now. And, you know, you can say that about certain movies and other media content, too, that you see things, you know, that are sort of dated. And you're like, whoa, like that wouldn't fly now. Um, but it definitely happens in Housewives. And I'm specifically thinking of Ramona. And I'm not sure if any of these 
little tidbits that I've been noticing are going to come up in this episode, but I will certainly point it out if it does. One more little tidbit before we really get into the episode, which is it actually doesn't come up in the episode, but I think it's something that I've noticed about season five of, of Real Housewives of New York that I had completely forgotten about, which is this is in the, the height of Luann and Jacques' relationship. So Jacques, it was sort of her major relationship but after her first husband, Alex Deliceps, but before her second husband, Harry. Oh, wait, what's that guy's name? Not Harry. Wow. I can't believe I can't remember that guy's name. Maybe it was Harry. Damn, that's going to bug me. Anyway, he'll come up again, obviously. I'll remember. But between husbands, she has, I think, a five-year relationship. And I think that the impression that I ended up coming away with sort of in real life now about Jock is that he didn't want to get married and she did. But what's interesting is that in this season of Real Houses in New York, she and Jock are trying to have a baby, which is something that I had completely forgotten about. It's fascinating. I mean, it means that clearly he was very, very, very serious about this relationship. I mean, even if for whatever reason he didn't want to get married, which I don't even know if that's true, by the way, but even if he, even if he felt that way, you know, you have a kid with someone, you're committed, you know, for a lifetime, sort of, I mean, or at least the childhood of the kid or whatever it is. It's a serious commitment and it completely just turns on its head the notion that I had that she sort of had to move on from this guy because he wasn't serious about the relationship. And I also wonder because in this season, she's actively trying to get pregnant. At least she's saying she is. She's going to see sort of fertility doctors and she's getting the kind of Charlotte York style. I don't know if you remember this from Sex and the City where Charlotte goes to get acupuncture to help her with her fertility problems. Lillian goes and does that. It even looks like the same room that Charlotte was in getting acupuncture for this reason, which is fascinating. Um, so, you know, they were trying to get pregnant and then apparently they didn't ultimately get pregnant or they didn't ultimately see a pregnancy through, you know, to fruition, if you will. So I wonder if that's why they broke up. Like if he was younger, he's younger, obviously, if he wanted to have a family and it sort of just wasn't going to work with Luann. And if that's true, that's so sad. And I just wonder about it. And I can't believe I forgot about that. Okay, finally getting into the meat of the episode. I'm sorry, I am all about the tangents, as you can probably tell. We start off with Carol. She's on the phone with her sister-in-law about her book that she's finishing. So she's saying, okay, I, you know, first of all, she wrote this, I I think it was a New York Times bestseller, like very, very well-received book called what remains and this was a memoir about her losing her husband Anthony Radziwill who was a Kennedy cousin to cancer um I think they were only married for five or six years which is interesting I could be wrong about that um so she wrote this book you know apparently a great piece of literature and she then and she quit her job she had worked at ABC News as a reporter I think with Anthony she quits because she finds success I mean it apparently quits because she finds success with this book and then starts working on another book which is a novel called The Widow's Guide to Sex and Dating. Now she's apparently four years into her work on this book by the time she starts filming Real Housewives of New York. I actually can tell you I'm working on a novel as well. I wrote the whole first draft in actually the nine months that I was pregnant with my last baby and I'm now editing it. And I hope to God I'm done well before four years from now. I'm not judging anyone. I've never written a book before. I don't know how long it's ultimately going to take. But 
to be honest, as someone who's writing a book, I can't imagine what she's been doing for four years. <laughs> um, hopefully this is a good book. Now she's telling us and she's telling her sister-in-law in this scene that she essentially is on more of a deadline now because the book has been picked up and is going to be made into a TV show. So I wonder sort of cynically whether the timing of that is not a little bit suspect that she's joined the cast of this show because she knows that she's about to have another show, sort of a fictional show, you know, a scripted show, so to speak, based on her book and that she wants to kind of get out there in the world and she knows that she needs the publicity. I wonder about that. I also, looking back, and this is something you can only do with the benefit of hindsight, which is why it's fun to do this. I wonder what happened to that show because I don't think it came out. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I'd never heard of a show called Widow's Guide to Sex and Dating or anything similar coming out um, in actual, you know, in real time. So I don't know what happened with that. But she's talking about how she needs to finish the book finally after four years. Then she has a packing scene on the phone with Aviva. She's getting ready to go out to Miami and she is not going to stay with Aviva. She's going to stay with her friend Ranjana Khan who's a jewelry designer, whose husband is Naeem Khan, who is, I would venture to say, a much more famous designer. He's a dress and, you know, clothing designer. So then we switch to Sonia. She's headed to Miami with Carol. Um, and <laughs> Carol and Sonia, when they get to Miami, they immediately go to Ranjana Khan's penthouse apartment which is absolutely to die for it's done in very like florida style it's all white it's all clean and it looks huge i mean just incredibly luxurious ranjana has very graciously invited not just sonia and carol over to sort of hang out but she's also included aviva and ramona who are already in miami if you recall at aviva's apartment now apparently aviva's apartment as i mentioned earlier is in sort of the fancy schmancy part of Miami versus Ranjana's is in, I think what Ramona terms an up and coming neighborhood. (laughs) I think it's supposed to be like an arts district. The apartment is insane. Like it's gorgeous. I'm sure it costs a ton of money. And Ramona, they're sort of talking about the fact that it's in this sort of different neighborhood that's essentially new that's being built up. And Ramona says, buy cheap to sell high. She says, that's what Ranjana is doing that she, you know, made a smart sort of speculative real estate decision and paid, you know, bought cheap, meaning paid little money for this apartment with the notion that once it's built up and becomes a place worth living in, that someone would pay a lot of money for it on resale. So this is a truly horrifying thing to say. It's incredibly rude. She's in this woman's house when she says it. Um, Ranjana, to her credit, you know, is a gracious hostess and just lets it ride. But this is just classic Ramona. And I love it. You know, I'm watching Ramona just put her foot in her mouth over and over and over again. And I think over the season, she became so much better about filtering herself. I mean, she's still very unfiltered, but compared to other people, <laughs> I might say normal people, but um, she was way worse um, before, sort of at the beginning of, of the show. And I think that over the years, she just got such a beating, you know, in the press and then on social media as the years went by that I think she became more filtered and this is more classic throwback Ramona where she says something incredibly rude um and I think that it actually makes her kind of the perfect housewife because it's entertaining that she says this stuff but it also makes her kind of relatable because of course we've all been there I don't think we've all been there as frequently and unapologetically as Ramona appears to be there but obviously we've all said things that we shouldn't have said and regretted it or not. Um, (laughs) 
So another thing is they go out to this beautiful sort of pool on Ronjan's deck, which is insane and just another indication that this place is just plush. And Ramona kind of freaks out because Aviva's not wearing her swimming leg. Apparently she has multiple prostheses for different situations. So she has like a flat-footed one for wearing flats. She has a one, I, I guess it has more like a Barbie foot, if you will, that's like primed for a heel. And then she also has one that's good for swimming. And she's not wearing her swimming leg, but she still wants to get in the pool. And Ramona throws this weird kind of fit um, and tries to get her out of the pool and keep her out of the pool. And Aviva's very put off by it. She clearly doesn't want to have attention drawn to this, you know, prosthesis that she has. And this sort of, I think it's Ramona essentially being controlling and trying to infantilize Aviva so that she can control her. And it, it, was quite a spectacle. Um, meanwhile, Ranjana's trying to show them how to do face yoga, which I've never heard of, but good for them. Um, so moving on to Aviva, <laughs> we're back in her apartment. We're setting the stage for her father to come over. She, in a previous episode, offered to set her father up with Sonia, um, which, you know, apart from the obvious age difference is also just, I guess, a little bit weird to like set your friend up with your dad. Although, like I said, they're all adults. So Sonia is in Ramona's bathroom with her getting ready. They're doing their sort of frickin' frack thing that they like to do. Sonia's in there having allegedly showered with Ramona because Sonia broke her shower. So she broke off sort of the handle that you use, I think, to turn on and off the water. Um, and then, so that's bad enough. Like Sonia and Ramona are staying at this at Aviva's house and, and Sonia has broken something. To make matters worse, Aviva goes to kind of try to hang out with them while they're getting ready in the bathroom. Aviva's, meanwhile, already completely ready. She's clearly miffed that they aren't ready yet. Sonia's naked. I mean, she's got like a towel wrapped around her. Like, they're not even close to being ready. Aviva kind of comes over, presumably to hurry them along a little bit, but also to spend time. And they just kick her out of the bathroom. They're like, no, like, this is sort of our time. And Aviva's clearly sort of put off by that. It is incredibly rude, just from an objective standpoint. Um... And ultimately, um, Aviva sends Mario over to, like, hurry them up to get ready for dinner because her dad's sort of on the way. Carol shows up. They're still not ready. So just from, like, a hosting perspective, this is just not not great. Not a good look. Um, and then Ramona, Ramona sort of speculates that Aviva's jealous of her friendship with... Um, Sonia, which is just beyond self-centered. Um, and then now this is an interesting thing. So Aviva takes Carol aside while Ramona and Sonia are still up to their bathroom antics. And she complains to Carol about the leg incident, sort of the, the big deal Ramona had made about her leg in the pool. And I've noticed this with Aviva, that she is sort of a shit stirrer. She she comes off really, really, really nice to people through their faces, but then she doesn't seem to have qualms about essentially talking about them behind their back and stirring things up and stirring the pot. And I get the impression that Aviva thinks that she is sort of the puppet master and that she, even though this is her inaugural season and she's dealing with some relatively seasoned cast members and some not, I think she thinks that she can kind of control the situation and sort of pepper the right comments to the right people over the right situations and end up 
essentially creating a storyline for herself, creating, making her sort of indispensable to the show and also having the relationships that she needs and the alliances that she needs so that, you know, she can sort of guarantee that people will still film with her over time. My point is that I get the impression Aviva to me is the very first like really studied housewife. And this is pure speculation. I speculate that she watched the show before she came on, that she made sort of a, she, that she's calculated, that the things that she does are calculated to keep her on the show and to keep her relevant, which is, could be totally wrong, but that's the impression that I get. And this is just one of those situations where she's, you know, trying to kind of ally herself with Carol against Ramona, who, who meanwhile, by the way, had been one of her initial allies joining the show. She sort of immediately glommed on to Ramona at the very beginning. Um, and so I'm, you know, while essentially at the very beginning of this season when Aviva first joined, I thought she was kind of sweet. Um, now I'm starting to see her as being more calculated. So George arrives. He's sort of like a Cheshire cat. He has these like very jarring, their veneers or their dentures, um, and he he makes a beeline for Sonia, who actually appears to be blushing. Um, I think she knows she's in over her head with this guy. You know, Sonia is like a very sort of, you know, she prides herself on her sort of burlesque and not having underwear on or whatever the case may be, you know, sort of sexualizing herself, being coquettish. But I start to wonder if that's not more for show than anything else, because I think George, who is truly sort of compulsive, apparently, about sex... Um, and about pursuing women is just going to com- be completely out of her league and just completely like overwhelm her essentially with his um, with how forward he really is. So we'll see how that goes. Um, George immediately goes after Aviva's husband Reed. He calls he says Reed is the the quote the dullest dresser because Reed just is wearing something that isn't sort of Florida enough or Miami enough for George. I feel badly for Reed. Um, you know, as, as calculated as I see Aviva being, I think that's how kind of guileless Reed is. I mean, I get the impression that he's just totally along for the ride. I think he's completely gaga over his wife. He's a little bit on the dorkier side. I don't know what he does for a living, but he looks like he's some kind of finance guy. Um, pretty buttoned up, pretty conservative. And I think that he just has this drop-dead gorgeous wife and um, kind of worships the ground she walks on. And I don't know that he really knew what he was getting himself into with this show. And I also don't know that he knew what kinds of, I would call them kind of sacrifices, sacrifices of privacy, sacrifices of decorum maybe that his wife was going to be making purposefully, I think, on her end to be on the show and to make herself relevant. Um, One example is in the previous episode, it was... Aviva's and his fifth anniversary wedding anniversary party which I don't I mean okay fine I guess that's a round number but my personally my fifth anniversary is coming up next year and I don't think we're going to be renting out the Empire State Building which they they rented out some I don't know if it's a dining room or a bar in the Empire State Building they had Sonia Sonia and the city I think it's called her supposed catering company or party planning company or whatever um, this was one of Sonia's initial businesses that clearly didn't take off or apparently hasn't taken off. Um, they have her planet, and I think that was a calculated move. Aviva wanted it to be sort of as enmeshed with the show as possible, and maybe she wanted to ally herself with Sonia and have this spectacle. But, of course, this is her actual anniversary, which is something that matters on a personal level, right? Um, 
And when she makes her speech at the party, she really throws Reed under the bus. And she kind of gives, she says thank you to Carol for writing Reed's speech. Because Carol had told her that Reed had called Carol to like ask for pointers. But actually, Reed had in fact given an off-the-cuff speech. Um, And it was very beautiful and very well received. And Aviva just like totally kind of took the wind out of his sails by kind of outing him incorrectly as having gotten fed the speech by Carol. Um, So that's just sort of one example. But I think that Reed, over the course of the show, I'm guessing, is going to become more and more disenchanted by what it is and what it's going to mean for him and his family. Um, So George goes up to Ramona. He's he's at at Aviva's house for this dinner. They flirt. Um, And... (laughs) The girls are telling George about the facial yoga that they had been introduced to by Ranjana, and he immediately sort of mimes. Um, I mean, he, I guess the, the technical term is cunnilingus with his mouth, um, which is truly horrifying. Honestly, like this episode with George, it's so graphic. It's so kind of sex forward. It's hard to even talk about it as a commentator. That, that's That's how... Um, kind of X-rated this is. So the fact that he was willing to say and do these things and do them on camera with people he didn't know, again, really kind of calls into question his kind of status, if you will. Um, Sonia in confessional, you know, she knows that she's sort of been set up with this guy. I think she knows that she's in over her, her head. But she says in confessional that he, quote, looks moneyed and like he has some major real estate. So, you know, this is the Lady Morgan thing coming out. She did marry, I think it's J.P. Morgan. I don't know, J.P. Morgan Jr., whatever. The sort of absolute titan of, of industry. It's like financial magnate um, who I think was much older than she was when they married. And so, you know, she's kind of playing this part of a gold digger for all intents and purposes. Um... <laughs> They get into a little discussion about Harry Dubin. So Harry Dubin is sort of peppered throughout the history of the Real Housewives of New York. He was married initially. He was married to Aviva. So he and Aviva were married and had a child. They got divorced. I think that the, uh, the unspoken sort of plot line here is that he cheated on her. I don't know that for a fact, but it it's just sort of comes off that way on the show. Um but it just just so happens that he also had at least had slept with at least once both Luann and Sonia. So that comes out in this season because Aviva joins and he's her ex-husband. So there's this sort of idea that Harry Dubin is this man about town and that he's sort of gotten with a lot of the women of the on the show. Ramona, meanwhile, gets inexplicably very upset that they're talking about Harry Dubin. She passes it off as concern for Reed, you know, that Aviva shouldn't be talking about her ex-husband in front of her current husband. Um, but I really, personally, I think Ramona was upset because she was the only one that hadn't slept with him. So she was sort of not able to contribute, if you will, to the conversation. And she wanted to, you know, essentially be the center of attention. Um, that's my impression. I think she made everyone feel awkward. She was kind of telling people what they could and couldn't talk about it at a dinner party, which is very rude. Um, and then even more rude, she goes back into the kitchen to tell the caterers to skip the salad service and serve the entree right away because they've quote, they've been sort of eating all day and she doesn't want to overeat. It was very weird. Um, I don't know what she was thinking about on that one. Um, 
And then we're back to George, who out of nowhere pretty much tells Carol that he could give her her first squirting orgasm, to which Mario does an actual spit take. I mean, he spits whatever he was drinking out of his mouth upon this out, truly outrageous claim by George to Carol, who, by the way, isn't even the woman that he's been set up for with for this dinner. Um, so ostensibly, Sonia's sort of his date, and he's saying this to Carol, who, I mean, obviously was totally unsolicited. Carol laughs it off, but oh my God, I cannot imagine how uncomfortable. Like I said, I'm uncomfortable even saying this now. I cannot imagine how uncomfortable I would be if somebody said that to me at a dinner party, this like old man, you know, and of course, remember this episode is called Dirty Old Dad. So, you know, he is the centerpiece of this episode. I'm sure Andy Cohen, looking back on this years later, was sort of kicking himself for not making George even more of a spectacle for the show, because really there's nothing, there's almost nothing that parallels George in all of Housewives history. I would say he's way up there as far as just being such a character, really. Um, it, I'm, and frankly, I'm surprised that just his presence didn't keep Aviva on the show for longer than she was because he's sort of worth the price of admission just by himself. Um, although I think the leg toss kind of ended it all for her. But we'll, we'll get into that later, hopefully. Um, and then, let's see. And then Aviva, Ramona gets mad again because they start talking about how George, Aviva sort of reveals that George had a serious relationship or a quasi-serious relationship after her mother died with a 35-year-old woman who then caught him cheating with a 22 or 23-year-old woman. And so she's kind of airing out his dirty laundry. But of course, he's doing that himself. So I would say it was pretty much fair game. And it was sort of in, in the context of this general discussion that he is sort of, you know, this like dirty old man. He cheats on a 35-year-old with a 23-year-old and he's God knows how old. Ramona, again, inexplicably gets upset and sort of comes to George's defense and doesn't want them to talk about it and makes it another sort of awkward, sort of puts sort of another awkward kibosh on the, on the whole dinner conversation. And Aviva then says in, dis, in confessional, like, yeah, you know, sometimes you, you kind of get to know somebody when you're on vacation with them, and that's what's happening here with Ramona, and it's kind of putting me off, and rightfully so, especially because she's the hostess. And it's her job to sort of keep the conversation going, etc. and it's not the job of the guests to be you know, running back to the kitchen and telling people what they can and can't talk about. So I think that it's Ramona sort of letting her controlling side get the best of her. And I also think Ramona thinks she can get away with it with Aviva. I think Ramona's underestimated Aviva. And I think that's because Aviva wanted her to. And that goes back to my point, my earlier point about Aviva in general. I think she's sort of a lion in sheep's, or what is it? Lion in sheep's clothing? Wolf in sheep's clothing. I think that's what she is. She's very, very nicey-nicey to everybody's face. And then in the background, I think she thinks that she's sort of this puppeteer. Which actually reminds me of Heather Dubrow from Housewives of Orange County. Um, also similar to that. And I would venture to say that in both cases, the women's time on the show was done once it became clear to the viewer that that's what had been going on all along. I think Heather was smarter and she managed to keep it under wraps for much longer. But I think that once Kelly Dodd joined Orange County and was just sort of so outrageous and was bringing it sort of down a notch as far as being, um, as far as decorum goes, I think Heather kind of lost it. And we all saw that. And I don't think that it looked very good on her. 
because at the end of the day, you're on a show here. You know, you can't act like you're better than everybody else. And I think that's what happened with Aviva too. And Aviva lasted for less time. So we'll see. Hopefully we'll be able to work through her tenure on the show together and come to conclusions. Okay. The next morning after the dinner party, they all go to visit George at his home. I don't know if it was a condo or what, but we're at his sort of pool with some cabanas. It's very nice. They go to the beach also. Um, Ramona flirts with him. He's like openly gawking at Sonia. And then Aviva takes off her cover up. She's got a bathing suit under it. And he goes, oh, what a body sort of to his daughter, which is like, oh my God. I mean, I, I, I can't, I cannot even imagine what makes him even think such a thing, much less say it. Um, Sony then accuses him of having grabbed her ass the night before, which I don't doubt occurred. He invites her to stay with him the next time she visits. He tells her, you should sleep with me for the kinkiest experience in your life. Um, he talks to her about how he can give her multiple orgasms. And basically, Sony just says, okay, this is just way too much for me. This is, you know... And I get it. You know, I think there's some sexism underlying this, too, because it's like if a man says this to a woman sort of openly, it's like, oh, yeah, he's just sort of he's dirty. He's a dirty old man. He's just after tail. But I think that if she had really responded in kind, she would have been called much worse. I think she would have been called like a slut or whatever you want to call it. Um, And I think she knows that. So I think she's sort of even if she was interested, which I really can't tell. It doesn't really seem like she is. I don't think she would have. sort of met him halfway, so to speak. Aviva, meanwhile, says in confessional that she's a bit embarrassed, but also amused. Um, I have to say, this is one of those things where it seems like Aviva is calculated. I, if I were her, would never have put my dad on that show, I believe. Um, putting myself in her shoes, I can't imagine even letting my dad embarrass himself that way, much less the reflection that it may or may not put on her in the eyes of the viewers and then also that she's exposing these new friends of hers that she barely knows to this man on camera for the world to see so she knew exactly what he was she knew exactly what he was going to say I mean not exactly but she knew basically what he was going to do what was going to go down and she sort of put the pot over the fire and let it go and I I have a hard time not judging her for that if nothing else it affects other people besides her um, then at the end of the sort of beach day, George grabs Ramona from behind and is sort of embracing her from behind and talking to her about how amazing her, her butt is, which was, um, forward to say the least. Mario's right there. He's clearly jealous and bothered, but I don't think he knows what to do with this like old man. Like, you know, he can't really sort of face him the way he would a man of his own age or Ramona's age I think he sort of feels like he has to put up with it or and also to be honest with you Ramona looks like she's into it she's been flirting with him the whole time so and of course that's no excuse for any kind of assault or harassment I'm just saying I think she totally I don't think she took any offense to it I think she was enjoying every minute of it so in that sense it's not really harassment um and then (laughs) And then finally, George says he's not going to join them all in the hot tub because he'll, quote, get erect. Um, And that was tough. Moving on to Heather, I guess they felt that they needed to have a scene or two in New York while most of this episode was happening in Miami where Heather was not invited. This was probably sort of in retribution for the fact that she didn't invite Ramona to her London trip, which happened earlier in this season. It was a pretty short trip, and she purposefully excluded Ramona because she just doesn't like her. 
And um, so Heather was not invited to Miami. Although, again, that was Aviva's choice because it was Aviva's house. And the fact that she sort of took on the fight that Ramona was having with Heather is interesting. Meanwhile, she's still buddying up to Heather on the other side. So she's pretty clearly playing both sides of the fence. What's interesting is it's, it's as if Aviva doesn't know that there's other people watching. You know, like it's as if she's sort of truly unaware of the cameras on the fourth wall because the viewers are, know everything she's saying to everybody, right? And then at the end, before the reunion, they're all going to know. So it's her sort of duplicity is a little bit um, short-sighted, I would say. But anyway, back to Heather. She's on this awkward date with her husband at like a caviar restaurant. And she says something pretty dark, actually. Um, she says, you know, we really need to do this kind of thing more. We need to have regular date nights because we don't talk ever. We're like ships in the night. When we get in bed for 20 minutes, we're finally together. We're on our blackberries. And sometimes you want to have sex. And I'm just like, well, I need to talk to you first, you know, kind of a thing. So you kind of wonder where that goes. And it was just, it was a, it was, it was tough stuff. My reaction was essentially woof. <laughs> like, I don't want to know about the, the inner workings of your marriage and whatever's going on here. Um, so I thought that was a throwaway scene. Uh, and then we're back with Aviva, of course. They go to a party with George. He pokes Sonia in the butt with his erection. She says he, quote, snuck up on me like a bad dream. And his response? Well, you're not wearing panties or a bra. That was, that felt to me like an assault. She didn't want it. You know, he went after her in this, like, very, very sexual way. He touched her physically. It looks like against her will. And this is one of those moments where it's like, I don't think that they could get away with that now. Like, if that happened on a current season, I don't know if they would even air that scene. As sort of juicy as it is, it is just not acceptable anymore to sort of laugh at something like that, um, sort of in the current climate. And so it was, it's just one of these moments that you're, you're kind of happy you're digging back into the past because you can really see how much things have changed. And, of course, I can't say that for sure, but I personally don't think that would have made the cut nowadays because it's just so clearly offensive. Um, Sonia kind of gets back at him though George, they all comment on the fact that George is the first one of them all to get served a drink and he's served by a, a young woman and he's like, well, what can I say you know, the ladies love me and Sonia's like, no, the girls just know what side their bread is buttered on, sort of saying you know, you're rich and old and so they're gonna come after you and see what they can get out of you and I think it was kind of a dig um, and I think he kind of took it that way, although they both kind of laughed it off, so that was interesting and it's also interesting because it's essentially what Sonia was sort of openly admitting to earlier in the episode when she made the comment about the fact that he looked moneyed. Um, so that was a little bit hypocritical, I suppose. He then tells the crowd that he takes horny goat weed. I have no fucking clue what that is, but supposedly I'm guessing it's some kind of an all-natural Viagra-style supplement. So good for you, uh, George. We know where that erection came from. And finally, he asks Sonia to go off with him privately to, you know, into a sort of dark corner of the party, so to speak. And she won't go. And to me, this was like the real, the real moment of truth. Like, no, I'm not going to sleep with you. You are, in fact, a dirty old man. Uh, next up, we go back to New York. This was an incredible segment. So this is Carol. She's shopping with Luann downtown. Um... Carolyn had a conversation with her friend Ranjana 
maybe a couple episodes ago, where Ranjana told her that Luann, after having been introduced to her by Carol, sort of casually, went showed up at Naeem Khan's, I don't know if Naeem and Ranjana share a studio or a showroom or whatever, but it seems that Luann just showed up uninvited to Naeem Khan's um, showroom and ended up asking him to borrow dresses. And Carol's very, very put off by that. I think she feels that it's kind of a social climbing thing, that she was using the connection that Carol had made kind of in good faith for her own more nefarious purposes. And Carol's like clearly upset about it when she's talking to Ranjana. Frankly, Ranjana seemed not particularly happy about it. Um, I'm actually a little surprised that Ranjana's getting down in the dirt in being on the show at all. But I mean, all publicity is good publicity, so whatever. Well, Carol takes this opportunity with Moan to actually confront her about it. He, she says to her, hey, I heard you showed up at Naeem Khan's showroom and then you asked him for a dress. What the fuck, basically. And she says, look, he doesn't loan out dresses unless you're a huge movie star or Michelle Obama. And essentially I felt bad sort of in getting you into his showroom, getting your foot in the door. It made me uncomfortable. I'm very protective of my friends. And Luann, I mean, to her credit, doesn't put up a fight. I mean, she says, oh, yeah. She makes this incredibly lame excuse that she was recently in, featured in Life and Style magazine, which is a tabloid, essentially. And I thought, you know, maybe he'd want me in one of his dresses, which Carol's sort of thinking, okay, you're such a diva. You're not understanding that he doesn't need you. Like, you are just not a big enough star for him to get any traction or benefit whatsoever from you wearing one of his dresses. And, it, I mean, she didn't say that. She, well, she kind of said it in confessional. Um, and she felt in the moment that Luann didn't understand that that was essentially what she was trying to say. Like, back off, bitch. You're, you're not all that. Um, but I was very surprised that Carol said anything. I mean, she said in the moment, oh, I wanted to bring this up so that it doesn't sort of fester. And that's a mature thing to do if this were a real relationship. But the thing is, Carol and Luann just met, it seems, for the show. You know, they're being thrown together in this sort of artificial way, it seems to me. And so to me, this felt like Carol trying to kind of get the spotlight for a minute, um, which was in kind of poor taste. I, I don't know. I don't... I kept trying to put my finger on what was bothering me about this, but it felt very, I guess, judgmental of Carol to say, oh, you're not good enough to wear one of these dresses or to get one of these dresses sort of for free. And that's, that's tough. That's, that's a really, really unkind thing to say. So if that's what she was saying, and it seemed like that she would, she, that's what she was saying, she should have kept it to herself. Except, of course, that it's great TV. So go Carol as a housewife, as a person, not so much. Final segment of the episode, Aviva, back to Aviva. She takes Sonia aside at this party that they're at with George to basically shit talk Ramona. She's like, okay, Ramona's just saying inappropriate stuff all the time. I hate having her at my house. She's a terrible house guest. I'm paraphrasing, of course. You know, what do you do with Ramona when she's being too Ramona? And Sonia basically says, well, this is not the first time this has come up. It's kind of a lot of people get rubbed the wrong way by Ramona and she sort of gives this personal anecdote that she herself will like literally ask Ramona to just leave her house if Ramona's sort of getting too intense or too in her face which is an interesting thing if that's sort of the nature of their friendship if they are that sort of close that Sonia feels like she can just kick Ramona out of her house and not have it have serious repercussions on their friendship well good for them um but this was another moment for me where 
I think Aviva is kind of sidling up to somebody to create an alliance. And also, you know, in a sort of, and this is again speculation, but I wonder if she's not creating this sort of conspiracy of talking shit together about somebody else. Because even though Aviva started the conversation, Sonia's still engaged with it. And then earlier about the leg thing, Carol's still engaged with it. So then Aviva not only gets to create this little alliance of an us versus them thing, but she also gets to kind of implicate the other person that she's talking to in sort of the wrongdoing so that ultimately if shit hit the fan Aviva would still be able to point somebody else and say oh well she was involved in this conversation too she might even say that so-and-so started it um because who's to say other than obviously the millions of people watching the show (laughs) so again I think that's sort of the fly in the ointment for Aviva is that all this is going to come out and it's going to come out you know before the reunion of this season so it just doesn't seem like it has a lot of longevity this sort of seeming strategy. But that is the end of the episode. I really hope that you guys enjoyed this. (laughs) I don't know if this is worthwhile as a general exercise. Um, I definitely need you to tell me that. So please let me know in the comments of our Facebook page or in the comments of whatever podcast um, platform you're listening on, whether you enjoyed the the bonus episode um, discussing this oldie but goodie uh, archive episode of Real Housewives of New York. So until next time, bye. Legal disclaimer. This is a personal podcast just for fun, solely meant for entertainment purposes. We are lawyers, but we're not giving any legal advice on the podcast. We're not creating any kind of attorney-client relationship in the podcast. And also keep in mind that Anything we say, anything at all, it's just our personal opinions. We have no intention of maligning any individual, group, company, religious or ethnic group, nationality, or anything or anyone else. Lisa and Katie have no affiliation with TLC. These are not the opinions of TLC. And finally, anything that we say is not meant to represent anyone other than Lisa Freitas and Katie Saad individually. Finally, please give a, leave us a comment on our Facebook page and give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast service you're using to help us continue to record. Thank you.